Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Great. Glad you're back in the house with us this morning. A little more housekeeping. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Vineyard. And this is our series this month called Bare Bones, Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit all month long. And we're going to continue doing that this morning. And if we're going to do that, we need to get right on into it. This morning's text comes right out of Acts chapter 2, because you can't do a series on the Holy Spirit without reading these verses. And so we're going to go ahead and do that this morning, and we're going to jump off from there. It goes like this. We're going to read the first 13 verses. Starting in verse 1, it says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Read from that. These people are all rednecks. (laughs) Read for that. These people are all from like Campbellsville, right? Greensburg. Casey County. See, you can always pick on someone, can't you? Let's put... Pikeville, whatever. I have like five jokes. I'm just letting them go. Just the scripture this morning. Just the words of God. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. We'll just stop right here. This isn't even the point of the message, but I do want to point this out. Tongues in a public setting. It hasn't happened often here at the Vineyard. It has happened. But if you ever hear tongues in a public setting, sometimes in a charismatic meeting, it's like this like prophetic thing. Like somebody speaks in tongues and then someone interprets and it's sometimes this very prophetic thing. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be that way, but if we look at the scripture, one of the things that we notice is that tongues, when it's in a public sort of thing, it is mostly a praise language. It's a worship language. Not so much prophetic language, mostly a praise language. Everybody do this. Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, what is it? 
It is, what did we hear? We heard them speaking the wonderful things that God has done. We heard them worshiping God in our own language. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. We'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. You can take that down. Okay, so uh, another thing I want you to see there, just even in the Acts passage, is that you have this one group of people when the Holy Spirit begins to move on them and it, and it spills out into the streets. There's always two reactions to anything the Holy Spirit has done. There's this one group of people who's like, this is amazing, what does it mean, right? And then there's another group of people who's like, ah, it's nothing, they're just drunk. So anytime the Holy Spirit moves, one of the things that I've noticed is you will always have, I wouldn't say the word division, but you will have this sense of some people are like, this is great, but what does it mean? And then there'll be someone else who, who, who will be ready and able to totally discount it. See, everything that God does, uh, it doesn't, it is powerful, it is wonderful, it is filled with life and joy, and at the same time, there will always be someone who discounts it, and there will be something about it that will be discountable. So sometimes we're thinking, well, if God does something, then it has to be beyond refute. No, oftentimes what God does is totally refutable, and there will be someone who will do it. So just because someone refutes a work at church or just because someone is refuting a move of God doesn't mean that it isn't a move of God. And just because something didn't bowl us all over and 100% convince us doesn't mean that it wasn't the Holy Spirit. FYI. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to show up? This is our first text this morning. Here's what had happened. Right before... This text that we read, Jesus had been crucified. He had been raised from the dead. He appeared to the apostles. He gave them instructions about the kingdom. Then he gave them some specific instructions about waiting in, to, in Jerusalem. And then he ascended into heaven. And they waited, and they waited, and they prayed until the Holy Spirit came upon them, just like Jesus said. And part of the instruction that Jesus gave them before this moment that we read was this. He said that they should wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit came upon them with power. Now, this is what I love about that little moment. Jesus, Jesus told the early gatherers, the early followers, He told them to wait in Jerusalem. But what we read in the book of Acts is that they prayed. Jesus said wait, but they prayed. I think that's really important because we want to be Holy Spirit people, right? Jesus said wait, and they did wait, but it wasn't like passive waiting, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't passive uh, football watching waiting. It wasn't putting our feet up on the counter waiting. It was praying. It was checked in in a brand new way. The reason I think this is so important is because, listen, church, this is one of the things that Christians do. Christians pray. Christians pray. That's one of the things that every Christian through every generation has always done. And if God is saying to you, wait, if God is saying to you, hold steady, if God is saying anything like that to you, one of the things that you need to hear beyond just the words, you need to hear, pray. It's time to pray. These are the conditions suitable for a Holy Spirit encounter. One of the things I've noticed also about the Acts text this morning, Jesus said, wait, they prayed, 
but they also prayed together. You want to have a Holy Spirit encounter? Don't just pray alone. Pray together. Furthermore, this is one of the things that I've learned in my life about prayer. If you want to sustain prayer, do it together. You want to burn out in prayer? Do it alone. You want to sustain prayer? Get a friend or two to pray with you. That's how you sustain prayer. And so these are the conditions that created the suitable petri dish for a Holy Spirit encounter. What are they? Obeying Jesus. Jesus said to wait. So do what Jesus says. But while we wait, we pray. And then the togetherness part of it. It's the genesis of a spirit movement. Now, when I was in college, when I was in college, we did this all the time. When I was in college, we often met together and we prayed and we worshiped. And we didn't do this like a few times. We did this all the time. Some of you guys are still here with me. Many of you guys have moved on. But we were always getting together to pray. Uh, We did it here at the vineyard. We would get here and a few friends uh, with me. And we would pray and we would play music sometimes from 10 p.m. to 3 or 4 in the morning. And no one asked us to do it. Uh, No one begged us to do it. No one said, hey, you know what? My grandma's really sick. Can you guys get together and pray? Uh, We didn't have a reason. The only reason we had is that we really loved the Lord and we knew that there was more in Him that we could lay hold of if we just spent a little time and gave Him some attention. And so that's what we did. And here's the thing. We didn't just pray here. Uh, We also went to Lindsey Wilson and we would go to the prayer chapel and we would always go at midnight because that was just more dramatic, right? We would go at midnight in that, that amazing prayer chapel. And, and there would oftentimes be 10 or 15 of us, and we would take our guitars over there, and the reverb in there is unbelievable. I mean, even if there's no Holy Spirit, there's always the reverb that's in that room. <laughs> so you just feel like it's better anyway. And we would go over there. We would show up. I, can't, I cannot tell you how many times that we would go at like midnight and we would, we would just worship the Lord, and we would pray, and we would cry out, and we would pray for one another. And, and it was always really hilarious, because inevitably, at like 12.30 or 1 in the morning, some couple would come in who was probably ho- hoping to make out, and they, man, they, would, they were not ready for what was about to happen in that room, you know? I have a friend named Joe Hurchin. I could tell you some stories about him, but, you know, some, some young couple was probably hoping for communion, and they meet Joe Hurchin in the hallway. It was startling. But here's what I noticed. Here's what I've noticed when I'm reflecting on all of this. When I was in college, we did this all the time. We didn't do it just alone. We mostly did it together. We did worship and we did prayer. We had very little agenda other than we wanted to meet with God. That's it. Like whatever that meant. We wanted to meet with God. There was no formal agenda for the meeting. There was no formal minutes. Uh, No one had an outline that we had to follow. And in the process of praying and worshiping, the Holy Spirit always met us. And then beyond that, there was always extra Holy Spirit stuff that spilled out of those moments into regular life. The most miraculous times in my life were the ones where we were together, worshiping and praying that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. He always filled us, and then He would always do more through the week than we could ever do alone. Some of you guys are in here, you're in college right now. I'm telling you, you're never going to have more free time than you have right now. You think you're busy. You're not busy. You're literally not busy. My favorite thing is when college kids tell me they're busy. I'm here to tell you, you are not busy. You have never had so much free time. 
one of the things you should strongly consider is finding five or six friends, finding a space. Uh, you can come here. The code on the outside of the building is 1980. I'm not joking. This is, this is, we don't care. We've always had an open door policy at the vineyard. You want to come here at two in the morning? It's fine. Guess how many things have ever been stolen at the vineyard? None. Guess how many things have ever been broken because people came and played music all night? None. I'm telling you, get five or six friends, find a space, begin to cry out to God, and see if some Acts chapters 2 kind of stuff doesn't begin to happen in your life. See, he wants to pour out the Spirit. Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the Spirit. He didn't say it's the Father's good pleasure to give you money, or to make you famous, or to make you powerful, or to make you beautiful, or to make you awesome, but he will give you the Spirit. You can, if you want it, you can have it. You can totally have it. Here's the good news. I, I'm like not even all that talented, right? I'm not all that talented. But I have a few friends, and we met with the Holy Spirit so many times. And over the last, especially 20 years, I have seen every single miracle in the Bible except a dead person getting up. And I'm not talking about metaphoric miracles where blind eyes were opened. And by the way, I believe in that, right? I totally believe in that. But I'm talking about actual ones. I've seen all the stuff. And it wasn't because someone was strong or courageous or smarter or more talented or good looking. It was because it was the Father's good pleasure to give the Holy Spirit. And eventually, somebody has to take them up on the deal and say, I would like what the Father is giving. Right? Yeah. See, that's the thing, church. That's the thing. Some of us, sometimes we come to the vineyard and we're like, man... I want to encounter more of the Holy Spirit. Great, you can do it. Get a few friends and begin to cry out. That's what you do. It's not all just up to me or to one of the leaders here. It's on us. We can have it as much as we want. And so here's what happened. The Spirit was poured out, tongues of fire. And everyone was speaking in different languages. And I want you to note, these were languages they had not learned. Languages they had not learned. By the way, this still happens today. I know a Southern Baptist guy who did not believe in the gift of tongues, went on a mission trip to Mexico and spoke in perfect Spanish, had never studied it, preached a message in perfect Spanish, never learned it, didn't even believe in it, got up and the Holy Spirit touched him and people heard the gospel. See, this stuff is not like what used to happen. It's, it's like it happens. And here's the deal. They, they spoke in languages they had not learned, but then here's the, I think the main part, at least for us as individuals, uh, there's this sense of whatever was happening in the Holy Spirit, it was so wonderful that the only word for it is intoxicating. You know, that little, that little verse that we put up there at the end, verse 13. You know, some people were like, ah, those guys are just drunk, right? Read for that. They're, they're, they're intoxicated. And can I tell you something? They totally were. They totally were. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, Sometimes you act a little goofy. Now, it's not licensed to act goofy, but sometimes you just you begin to lose your inhibitions. And why do you lose your inhibitions when the Holy Spirit comes on you? It's actually very simple. It makes perfect sense. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes on you in a profound way, you begin to lose your inhibitions because of what it means when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What it means is you're waking up to the degree that God loves you so, 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 so much. That's what it is. You guys remember when Jesus was baptized, right? Jesus is baptized in water. Holy Spirit comes on him, and then what does the Father say? 
that's my son. He makes me happy, right? And so sometimes we read that little moment in Luke chapter 3, and we think that's just about baptism. Well, it is about baptism, but it's mostly about Holy Spirit baptism. And Holy Spirit baptism is about being immersed completely, thoroughly, and totally in the Father's love. That God would say from heaven, you're my daughter, and you make me happy, and you're my son, and you make me happy. And when you really, really begin to know that on the inside, all of your performance and all of your inhibitions begin to go away, and everything that you've been trying to hold together, and everything that you've been trying to prove, you let go of it, and the next thing you know, in that moment, sometimes you just become intoxicated with the goodness of God who loves you even though you have not been great, even though you are not perfect, even though there are still things that need to be put together. Does this make sense? And so we never judge people who are losing it a little bit when the Holy Spirit is coming on them. We just don't because we know what it means. They're beginning to get it on the inside that God really loves them. One of the words that we have to recapture when we consider the Holy Spirit is intoxicating. And the other word we have to, we have to recapture is ecstasy. It is the ecstasy and the joy of loving God. Some of us think that knowing God is just this intellectual pursuit. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. Loving God should contain the word ecstasy in it. It is the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. This doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go well. It probably won't. It doesn't mean that sometimes the proverbial poo-poo isn't going to hit the fan, because it is. But even though all of that is still true, there is the surpassing greatness and the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. It is available to us by the Holy Spirit. If the early apostles had the joy, we can too. Ecstasy, intoxication, uh, no inhibitions. Those are things, these are words that should describe Christians. Some of us are like, man, I grew up in a very straight-laced tradition. Great. Take all the good and then insert some intoxication into it. Take all of the good from it and insert the ecstasy of knowing God. God is a happy person. Knowing God should not be stale, dry, or emotionless. These are the works of the Spirit. To bring that joy that exists between the Father and the Son to His children. That's one way of understanding who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the joy that exists between the Father and the Son. And He brings it to His children. Whenever you feel the deep love of God in your heart, you're not just feeling the deep love of God for you in your heart, but one of the things that I've come to realize is I'm feeling the deep love of the Father for Jesus. This is how he feels about Jesus. And I'm feeling the deep love of Jesus for his Father. That's part of what it is. It should be an emotional work as well. These are the works of the Spirit. And so, Jesus had ascended and he was gone in one sense. And these disciples were all alone in the city. And it was a city that was pretty hostile to their message. And it was pretty hostile to their presence. After all, Jesus had been executed. He had been crucified. And yet, part of the power of the story is that here in this moment, we see some movement. We see some movement. That's going to be the main thing we look at this morning. 
we see some movement in a city that was hostile to the message of Jesus, in a city that wasn't necessarily welcoming to this new thing that God was doing, we see some movement, and this movement is spirit movement. So what we see is, we see that the disciples had gathered, along with about 120 people in an upper room, because that's what Jesus said to do. So they gathered, right? They gathered. This is part of what the Spirit does. The Spirit gathers. They were up in that upper room. Jesus said, wait. They waited. And while they were waiting, they were praying. But they gathered. But in the gathering, and in the waiting, and in the praying, they have a profound experience of the Holy Spirit. And that experience of the Holy Spirit causes them to spill out into the streets. And so not just gathering, but now scattering, right? This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit gathers the church, but the Spirit also scatters the church. This is part of the movement that we see in Acts chapter 2, but we're also going to notice it a couple other places this morning. This is really, really important. The Spirit gathers, but then the Spirit scatters. It's, it's movement. Uh, if you remember last week, that chapter uh, that we uh, looked at in Genesis, it says that, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was what? Moving over the waters. It was hovering over the waters. He was brooding over the waters. What is that about? Yeah, the Spirit brings a kind of movement. So, <clears throat> that is one little picture but we can never ever talk about Acts chapter 2 without also reading another story. Because Acts chapter 2 is an echo from the Old Testament. We'll go ahead and put that up. Many of you guys know this story. Acts chapter 2 is an echo of Genesis chapter 11. You guys remember the story of Tower of Babel? Okay, we're going to read this this morning, and while I read this, I want you to notice how many similarities exist between the Acts chapter 2 passage we just read and the one we're going to read right now, okay? So put on your attention, feelers. Is that a thing? Put up your antenna. That's what Amy said. That's a better word. Put up your antenna. Catch this. Genesis chapter 11, we're going to read nine verses. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language, and they used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. And they began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at that city and the tower and the people that they were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and let's confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world 
and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages, and in this way he scattered them all over the world. Interesting, huh? Yeah, this passage is an echo of Acts chapter 2. It's important to read them side by side. What are some of the similarities that you've noticed in these two stories? Anybody? I'm sorry? They were scattered. Everybody agree? Other similarities? What'd you say, Jonathan? No, 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 he sent them out from one language. But there was many languages. Yeah, so many languages, right? Everybody agree with Jonathan? Yeah. So scattered, many languages, anything else? This is so good. Both passages have this sense of God is coming down, right? In Genesis 11, the people have built this tower, and God says, let us come down and take a look at it, right? And in Acts chapter 2, the disciples pray, and the Holy Spirit comes down. He comes down like a rushing wind and a flaming tongue. Isn't this amazing? Many languages, people scattering, God is coming down. But there's also a sense of unity and togetherness in both passages, right? Look here. Everybody's coming together. We're going to build one great big city, right? And in the upper room, everybody's going to come together and we're going to pray, right? There's all these little connecting points. It's surprising how many similarities such dissimilar stories share. There's also some key differences as well. One of them, one of the two passages is a kind of judgment. The people were gathering. They were gathering both in numbers and in strength. And they're gathering here in Genesis 11 in numbers and strength and location, it led to a kind of God-blindness. Anybody in here ever gotten really strong or had things go really well in your life, and without really even noticing it, you just sort of forget about God? I've done it. I've totally done that. It is, if there's, if there's one thing that is sort of like common to human experience in our life with God, it is this, that oftentimes, without really careful attention, and without some, some really uh, good daily work, that it is so easy to forget about God. And when we get really strong, when things go really well, we can just become sort of like God blind. We just become God blind. And so that's sort of what happens here. They become God blind, and they become gods in their own minds. That's what this whole tower thing is about. You think, well, what's, why is God going to come down? Why doesn't he want people to do great things, right? No, the real issue here in Genesis 11 is that they had just become God blind. They weren't even considering him anymore. They build this city and they say, we're going to build a tower and it's going to reach all the way up to the sky. Read for that the heavens. That might even be what your translation says. We're going to build a tower that goes all the way to heaven, right? I think it's interesting that they say they're going to build a tower that reaches into the sky. And the very next verse is God says, let's go down and take a look at it. <laughs> you know, you build the tallest tower you can and God is still coming down to take a look at it. It's, but it, it, that's, the Bible, that's the Bible way of saying 
delusion, delusion. These people were delusional, right? Yeah. They were going to build a, a tower right into heaven. And it was going to be a sign of their own strength and dominance. Look at what they said. We'll build a city for ourselves. It's going to make us famous and we won't have to be scattered all over the world. Now, the reason this is such a big deal is because of something that God had said in Genesis chapter 1, 28. Let's put this up. Look at one of the very first things that God says to people. This is the blessing that God gives to Adam and Eve, and by extension, everyone. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Ten chapters later, what are people saying? We found a good spot, let's build a tower, we'll be famous, and we will not be scattered. Right? What is God hoping to do? God wants to fill the earth. He wants to fill the earth with people. He wants to, he wants to, scatter, he wants to scatter humanity all over the globe. But ten chapters after this, people are already saying, nope, we're going to build a tower, we're going to be strong, it's going to be a symbol, and we're going to reach into the heavens, we will be gods, and we will not scatter. We will not scatter. See, people in Genesis chapter 11 were beginning to pull together. And in that pulling together, homogeny ruled. Sameness was standard. Human achievement was exalted. And at the end, at the end, God comes down and He scatters them. He scatters them by confusing their language. And in doing so, He kickstarts His Genesis chapter 1, 28 plan all over again. He's interjecting God consciousness again. So, on the one story, it's a bit of a judgment and then the second story what we read is a blessing in acts chapter 2 jesus said wait and they did and they get jesus said gather and they did and the end result is a dynamic expression of the spirit's power on the one hand one of the episodes was rooted in humanistic self-reliance and the other was in humble obedience one had a profound lack of God awareness and the other one expresses radical God hunger. I mean, we could go on, but these are the basic keys. But I bring it up because of how both of the stories end. Isn't it funny that both of the stories basically end in the same manner? And this is really important when we consider the spirit work. Both stories end with many languages being spoken, and people being scattered. Here's the paradox, though. Here's the paradox when we hold these two stories together. The paradox is that in one story, people seem to be judged because of gathering, and in the, in the other story, they're blessed because of gathering. Isn't that interesting? One story, they get judged, and in the second story, they get blessed i think this is important and i think it shows us the underlying difference in the two stories and the underlying difference is this that in one story the genesis 11 tower of babel story people gathered in order to avoid god to blot him out to set themselves up as god 
And in the other story, people gathered to meet him. See, our motivations and our reasons are never, ever, ever without consequence. See, when we gather as the church to meet God, we get to hear his word. We get to experience his presence. That's a big deal. And when we do, we can expect God to come down, as it were. We can expect the Spirit to make Himself known. We can expect to encounter some of the joys of knowing God. And when we encounter God and the joy, and when we, when we experience the exhilaration of knowing the Holy Spirit, uh, sometimes it's hard to even want to leave. How many of you have ever come, like, maybe even to this church, and you've had such a profound experience, maybe you couldn't even articulate why it was profound, just something about the morning so touched you, and there was something in you that didn't even really want to leave, right? I, one, of the ways, one of the ways that I know that we've had an amazing Holy Spirit encounter at our church is this. When church is over, when people just don't really leave, they like linger, that's one sign that the Spirit has really been with us. So as there is this sense in which the Spirit gathers us, but then there's also this sense, both stories, Old and New Testament, that he doesn't just want to gather. He wants to meet us in the gathering. He wants us to, to come together, and he wants to meet us. He wants to be God to us in that moment. But then he also wants to be scattering us. We should be, we should be those ones who are scattered abroad. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let's look at this. This is before Acts chapter 2, obviously. He says his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, ends of the earth. What is the, what is the Spirit's work? This is the Spirit's work. To bring us together, but then to send us out. God said in Genesis chapter 1, 28, fill the earth and govern it. It's the Spirit which also sends us out. What this means is this. God is always reaching out. It's no accident even now that our universe is expanding. How many of you know that the universe is expanding? Like at the edge of the universe, it's, it's just going out. It's just going out. It's getting bigger all the time. And it's never going to stop. Why? Because there's something about who God is that is always reaching out. He's always reaching out for something further. There's something in God that is always ready for something new, making more space, making more space. There is something about God who is so generous that he just wants to give, that to be around him is to expand and make more room. God is always reaching out. It's no accident that our universe is expanding. It's also no accident that human beings have an impulse to explore and to discover. And can I tell you something? We've pretty much explored everything on our little planet, and in the last 40 or 50 years, we've left our planets a couple times, right? Like actual human beings have left the planet. We went to the moon. We did all these like little Apollo missions. We have a space station, and on a bright night, you can see that space station just going around. How many of y'all have seen the space station? It's cool, isn't it? Isn't it weird to think that there are people up there? Can I tell you something even greater? The fact that there are people up there, it's blessed by God. 
I'm 100% convinced that God is interested in people expanding out into this great universe. Is that weird? Yeah, it kind of is. It's totally who he is because God is always reaching. God is always expanding. God is always going to that next thing. He's always scattering. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And so in the next 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, when people leave this planet, go a little further out and go a little further out and go a little further out, that impulse to go a little further out is God in them to discover, to reach out, to take it, to take it, to take it and go someplace new, to colonize, to do a new thing, to be a new thing, to expand, to expand the reaches. This is who God is. One of the things I've also noticed is this, that while it is true that humans have an impulse to explore and discover, that, that sometimes it's also true that the very same people who explore and discover can be tribalistic and petty. It's easy to divide the, room, the world into little rooms. It's easy to divide the world into us and them. In fact, this is happening now as often as ever. I don't have to tell you that we're living in a moment of world history where the whole world is being swept into a tribalistic lens of us versus them. Everything you read, everything you see on Facebook, everything you see on the news is trying to divide the world into us versus them them trying to build little rooms trying to make us tribes and i want you to know this morning church that is not spirit thinking that is not spirit oriented spirit leads us from babel into the world the spirit leads us from the upper room and our fearful anxieties into all of the world this is, why, this is why there's a multiplicity of languages in both accounts. Those are not unimportant details. See, God loves the nations. God loves diversity. He loves multiplied expressions of everything. And the nations are never going away, and the languages are never going away. Notice that even after Acts chapter 2, when the disciples came down speaking in other tongues, and people from all over understood the praises of God, that it was the Spirit who empowered to the disciples to speak in other languages, rather than have other men speak like them. That's a really big deal. God loves diversity and when the Holy Spirit comes on us, he, will, he is more interested in getting you and I to reach out to someone else rather than, rather than making that other person try to be like us. This is what the Spirit does. It is the Spirit who empowers us to cross bridges and to cross boundaries. And afterwards, all those who heard in their native tongue, they continued to speak that way. The Spirit didn't make them speak Hebrew. All those people who were in Jerusalem speaking some other language, they heard the praises of God in their own language, and they went home with the Spirit encounter, continuing to speak their own language. They didn't have to learn Hebrew or become Jews to become Christians. That's not how the Spirit works. See, church, the Spirit empowers us to reach out. The Spirit gives us gifts to relate 
The Spirit calls us out of our homelands into new spaces, crossing boundaries. Philip went from Jerusalem and he went into Samaria. That's Acts chapter 8. And then the very next person that Philip meets is the Ethiopian eunuch, also Acts chapter 8. And then Acts chapter 13. I want to read these verses. They're not here. I just want to read these verses to you. This is, this is the church in Antioch. It goes like this. Among the prophets and the teachers of the church in Antioch in Syria, there were Barmanovus, called Simeon, Lucius, and Manaean, and there was Saul. And one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, common theme, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. This was their first missionary journey. What does the Spirit empower us to do? He empowers us to leave. That's what He does. He empowers us to go. The Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for a special work. What is the Spirit doing, church? The Spirit is empowering us to be brave. The Spirit is empowering us to reach out. The Spirit is especially empowering us to cross those boundaries that culture has set up. Everything, everything in the news right now that is trying to divide the world into Christian and Muslim, the Spirit is wanting to eradicate that. Everything in the news media right now that is wanting Christians to demonize Muslims and to be afraid of them is an anti-spirit work. Let's just make this as practical as we can. Everything in the news right now that wants to divide the world into us versus them is an anti-spirit work. What is the Spirit saying to Christians? Be brave. Maybe they're not who you think they are. Maybe you should go. Maybe you should find out. This has always been the Christian response. The church at its worst is always an us versus them. How did the Crusades happen? How did the Crusades happen? When we started to believe that we had it and no one else did and that we were going to ram it down people's throats no matter what and that, that cultural identities didn't matter anymore. They totally do. That's never a spirit work. It's not the Jesus way. It's not the spirit way. The Spirit is building bridges, it is reaching out, it is crossing boundaries, especially with people that you thought you were supposed to be afraid of. Right now, there is a Spirit that is trying to divide America along, along, racial, along racial lines. It is not okay. We've had a resurgence of racial, racial difficulties. And let me tell you, right now, the Spirit is uniting African American and white and Hispanic uh, cultures in our nation. It doesn't look like it, but I can promise you this. I know the Holy Spirit. His work is in those places. His work is in those places. And it isn't going to be white people telling Hispanics and black people how to get on with it either. It will be the Spirit empowering white people to be humble and to be giving and to be gracious and to be mostly silent and to be mostly listening. How do you know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life in these, in these days ahead, especially when it comes to other, other ethnicities? When you feel empowered to not say anything and to listen. 
This is the Spirit's work. He's allowing us to reach out. The, right now, the world is trying to, trying to convince everyone that there is a major uh, rift between everybody who is gay and everybody who is not. And what is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is reaching out to gay people. Why? Because He, he loves gay people. He's never not loved gay people. The Spirit is reaching out. The very person you're most afraid of, if you get encountered by the Holy Spirit, is, it could be the very kind of person He will send you to. I mean, the, the Acts story just shows this over and over again. Those little 120 people, they were so afraid. They were so afraid, and they had good reasons to be afraid. Jesus had just been crucified, right? And then the Spirit comes on them and right out. And the guy who was most afraid, Peter, denied the Lord three times as the one who stands up and preaches the first sermon, right? And then not only that, when Saul gets knocked off of his donkey, Saul gets knocked off of his donkey, and he is blind, and can't see a thing for three days, the Spirit speaks to a little guy, a disciple named Ananias, the good one, not the bad one. And he sends Ananias over to Saul's, Saul's new location. And how many of you understood? It took bravery for Ananias to go see Saul. Why? Because Saul was beating Christians up and having them thrown in jail, maybe even killing them. Some Bible scholars think that when, when Stephen was killed in Acts chapter 6, that Paul was there. It takes courage to reach out. The Spirit will not let us be an insular circle. The Spirit will not let us be a closed-door church. The Spirit will not let us get away with having really good church meetings. He will not let us get away. Some people who have encountered the Holy Spirit the most are the ones... Listen, if the Holy Spirit starts encountering you in a profound way, if you start feeling the love of God in a brand new way that you've never felt, get ready. He is going to send you out. It is never, ever legal to experience the power and the presence and the blessing of the Spirit and then say, well, then for this house and no more. That's not how it works. He always sends us out. We gather and then we scatter. What's the Spirit doing? He's making us brave. He's going to send us out. New kinds of people, new kinds of places. Can I tell you something, church? Some of us here are going to leave. Some of us in this room are going to leave. In the next three or four years, you're going to leave. And you're not going to leave because you took a better job or you went to do some dream. But you're going to leave because God started speaking to you about people He wanted you to go and to take the good news to. You're going to leave. That's how we know. The Spirit is at work. Some people who are here might even go and plant a church. Some people here might move to a new community to go and build and do a great work to, to bring the goodness and, and the love of God to some new people. Some people here are not going to be here forever. That's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. That's what the Spirit does. He gathers us in and He scatters us out. Let me say this before we're done. Let's put Acts chapter 1 verse 8 up again. Some people here, some people here, are Jerusalem people. You're going to stay. And you're going to, do that, you're going to do that scattering and reaching out in this city. And you're going to do that scattering, and you're going to do that reaching out with different kinds of people who live in this town. People who look like you, but especially people who do not look like you. I cannot emphasize this enough. The Spirit's work is almost always taking us to people who are not like us. If you are rich, the Spirit will take you to the poor. He just will. The Spirit is always reaching out to the poor, by the way. But if you are rich, He will take you to the poor. And if you are somebody, He will take you to the nobodies. 
But some of you here are Jerusalem people. Some of you are Judea. And you won't stay in Campbellsville, but some of you are going to go plant a church in Danville. And I don't know who that person is, but somebody's going to do it. Like we've been praying for this for years. It has to happen. The Spirit wants a church in Danville. It's a perfect place. It has a great college. It's got good pizza. That place has even... It's got good pizza and beers. It's not far from Lexington. It's a great place to live. There's a university. There's always something happening, right? Some of you are Jerusalem people, but some of you are Judea. You're going to move to Danville, or maybe you're going to move to Bowling Green, or maybe you're going to move to Louisville, and maybe you're going to plant a church up, on, up in the Highlands somewhere, right on Bardstown Road, and it's going to be awesome, and all the weirdos are going to come. It's going to be incredible, and we'll give you some money to go do it. And then some of you, some of you are going to Samaria, and you're going to leave Kentucky, and you would never even believe it, but you're going to go to some like weird out, weirdo, whacked out place like Southern California, and God's going to, God's going to lead you there. He's going to, he's going to, you're, going to, you're going to end up in the most diverse neighborhood. You're like lily white. You are, you are white bread, and God is going to take you to like, he's going to take you to Los Angeles, and you are going to be surrounded by Hispanics. You're probably going to have to learn another language, and you're going to do the spirit work with people that you never dreamed you'd do. And then some of you are all of the earth. And you're not even going to stay here anymore. You're, you're going to leave. This is what it is. We, and we have some people who've been scattered out. You know, some of you might go to live in Peru or maybe some other nation. Or maybe, or maybe you'll go to Africa or maybe you'll go to Asia. Or maybe you'll go to Indonesia. Or maybe you'll go to England. Or maybe you'll go to Germany. Or maybe you'll go to Turkey. There's all these places, but it's ends of the earth. And the people won't be anything like you. And you will not be trying to get them to be like you. You will be trying to get them to see that God loves them for who they are. That the Father has embraced them. And you'll be becoming like them. That's what the Spirit does. He's going to make us brave. Every anxious thought in our minds that keeps us divided from people is ultimately an anti-spirit, anti-Jesus thought. It has to be eradicated. It has to be. We're always reaching out. Christians are generous. I mean, think of the way that Jesus was crucified. He was crucified with arms out, right? He embraces the world. He embraces the world. This is, it's, it's, more, than just, it's more than just a forensic understanding of how the Son of God died. It is a poetic reading of what God does to the world. He embraces it. Arms out. Defenseless. This is who God is. So, are you a Holy Spirit person? Are you a Holy Spirit person? Do you speak in tongues? I hope you do. I hope you speak in tongues. Have you, uh, have you had the gifts of the Spirit uh, stirred up in your life? Uh, can you prophesy? Can you heal the sick? Raise the dead? Cast out devils? I hope you can. If you can't, then we'll pray for you so that you might. But here's the thing. You could speak in tongues, and you can cast out devils, and you can heal the sick, but if you can't love people who are radically different than you, you still don't have it. You have something, but you don't have it. The Spirit is not making us more divisive, judgmental, racist, bigoted, dividers, cutting the world into tiny rooms that Jesus will not have. The Spirit is making us open-handed. This is who He is. We're not afraid of people. We're not afraid of Why? Because Jesus is on our side. We're not afraid of people because we know He's already there. We're not afraid of people because the Spirit is giving us a heart. 
we're not afraid. So what is God doing? He is gathering us, but He's scattering us. Amen? Amen. Gosh, I could preach more, but I'm not. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you go to the back of the room over there? That's where we have the most room. It's a little awkward, but it's all we got. And uh, why don't we pray this morning? Why don't we pray? I feel like the Lord wants to do a couple things this morning. I feel like the Lord wants uh, some people in here to literally respond to the fact that you know you're being called to scatter. And that might mean eventually leave here, or that might mean eventually leave Campbellsville, or maybe it's just that God is asking you to scatter into a new kind of community that exists here in our own town. Maybe you know that God is calling you to do something with the poor. Like, you know it. Like, you know it. Maybe God has been on your case for so long about reaching out to African-American brothers and sisters in a way that isn't uh, judgmental or, or ridiculous, but, but, but listens and embraces. Maybe you know that. Maybe you know that God is asking you to be brave and to, and to reach out. Maybe, maybe God is speaking to you about doing something with refugees. And you're like, man, I just live in Campbellsville. I can't do anything for refugees. Yeah, you can. You totally can. Just lean into it. I have a feeling God is speaking this scattered word, right? I think he is. Why don't we stand up this morning? I want to pray for us. And then if you need to respond, we've got some teams back here who want to pray for you. We want to do that. You know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Exodus chapter 32. It's amazing. That's where, that's where Moses goes into the tent of meeting. Y'all remember that? Like there's Moses that, you know, he builds this tent, he goes in, and when he goes in, the Bible says that he would meet, he would meet God, and God would speak to Moses face to face like a man speaks to his friend. Right? Read for that dynamic encounter, right? So Moses would have these encounters and he would come out and his face would literally be glowing from the presence that was on him. Guess what Moses was never allowed to do? He was never allowed to stay in the tent. Ever. God would always send him out. Moses, the guy who had the most dynamic encounters with God, face-to-face friendship with God, glowing face, is also the guy who was sent into Egypt back to the scariest place back to the scariest man to tell him, you have to let my people go. You have to let my people. And he led them into the desert and then right onto the edge of the promised land. We can never just have Holy Spirit encounters. We have to be scattered. He's always leading us out. So God, we ask that you would do this. God, we ask that in our own hearts, all the places, all the places that keep us so afraid of going out and crossing boundaries and and, and, and being your good news messengers, God, we ask that you would give us an encounter. God, we ask for a sufficient baptism of the Holy Spirit to scatter us anywhere you want to scatter us. God, for those of us who have had dynamic and powerful experiences with your Holy Spirit, but have never been scattered, God, I ask that you would stir us up again. And I ask that you would tune our ears to maybe the places you were wanting to send us. 
God, we ask that your compassion would begin to flow. Yeah, we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come in power. Come with your wind. Come with your fire. Blow upon us and move us. Light upon everything that is dry and brittle. Who here knows that they just feel like God is asking them to be scattered? Like, you don't even know maybe where, but you just feel like the hand of God moving you. Like, you even feel the invitation. Anybody here feel that right now? Anybody feel that God might be, yeah, okay, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. God, we ask for more. God, we ask for, we ask for courage for those people who just put their hands up. God, we ask for courage. Would you speak to them? Show them how. Show them where you're wanting them to go, who, who you're wanting them to contact and impact. Yeah. Yeah, even as we're here right now, uh, Chad and Shannon, I just, I just cannot get this word out of my mind. It's just come to me like two times for you guys. Um, you guys. You guys are not done. Um, I, I feel like you guys have had uh, years of, of ministry in your life and you feel like you've been in a holding pattern but you are not in a holding pattern you've been in a gathering pattern and the Lord is going to scatter you I have no idea where and I have no idea when or how but you've been gathered and I know you will be scattered and he is going to send you out uh, your days of ministry are not over you haven't been overlooked uh, you haven't been sidelined you haven't been uh, displaced you haven't been in the wrong place you've been in the right place you've been in the perfect place uh, what I, the literal picture I get is I just see you, I just see you like a little embryo that's just sort of lodged in the womb of the of the of, of the spirit, and you've been developing this new thing, and and but God is going to send you out again, 
He's going to send you out again. I have no idea how, who, when, why, where. I don't know any of that, but I just see the Lord just releasing you again. I see him releasing you again. Does that make sense? Is that cool? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you've been gathered, but you, you will be scattered. Your days are not over. You guys are, you guys are kingdom of heaven gospel proclaimers. You, you totally are. You totally are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Can we just wait another minute or two? Is everybody good? I just feel like the Lord is here. Yeah, the Lord is here. Mm. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Stir. Do the things you do. Yeah, I also feel like I just have a, maybe a little word for the swim team. Swim team ladies. Dude, you guys are awesome, by the way. Yeah, I, I just feel like this is what I'm feeling. I feel like you guys came here because you were going to get an education. You're going to swim. And I feel like you have come to Campbellsville and you've gotten an education and you have swam. But I don't feel like this is the main reason you've come here. I feel like there is something so much more. I, I feel like God has united you and brought bonds of friendship. But more than bonds of friendship, he has, he has tied you together and you'll, you'll, it'll, it'll be, it's going to last forever. Like, so your friendship is never, it's never going to... It's never going to end, and you might, even, you might even get scattered. There may be even times when you live apart, but it is like, um, you're like covenant friends. Like you're like forever, you're forever in covenant friends. But then I also feel like because of that, that the Lord has something for you. I feel like he's brought you here to meet each other, that you might, that you might minister together. I, I feel like you girls are called to do kingdom ministry and that may be in the church or maybe outside the church heck you might all end up being coaches but that doesn't but the truth is the truth is the god has asked you to gather and so what i actually end up seeing is i see every one of you girls in particular i see you as like these little shepherdesses and i see these little tiny sheep around you and i don't know what that means i, I have a couple feelings but I, I don't even i'm not going to go there but i just know that you guys have been called to shepherd the little sheep in jesus's church and don't read for that kid's ministry but I, there's something tender. It might be kids' ministry, but I know that there's, because people just always tell girls they have to do kids' ministry, and that's not true. But there's something tender that he has brought you to do, and there's something about you doing it together as well. Does that make sense? Is that cool? Yeah, all right, cool. Holy Spirit, thanks, Lord. Well, Lord, we just love you this morning. We know that you are doing things. Yeah. Yeah, God, we give you today and tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need to respond in any way to the message, we've got prayer teams back here. They want to pray for you. Give somebody a high five and a hug. Pray for somebody. Amen. See y'all. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, 
You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.